0: church. It's great to be worshiping God with you this morning. Welcome to those who are joining us online. If you do happen to be traveling, we've been having some trouble with our Facebook live stream, so we switched over to YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Wow, I sound like everybody else in America. Uh, (laughs) Subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can uh, continue to worship us even if you're sick or at home or, or traveling. It was 2008, and everybody I knew was full of anxiety because we were in the midst of the Great Recession that that I think most of us remember. And I was on a trip, I was on the National Youth Workers Convention, which when I was a youth director, was my favorite event all year, because I would gather with youth directors all over the country, and we would sing songs together, we would be in worship, we'd have these incredible speakers, and I also would to get to hang out with several thousands of my closest friends that i just met. And, it, and if you've ever been with a gathering of youth directors, you know it's going to be a party, right? <laughs> it's just a really good time. And, and we learned a little bit too, but that really wasn't why I went. I went to enjoy the experience. But, but everyone was kind of heavy-hearted because it was a, it was a difficult time, and, and there was a lot of anxiety in, in people. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure most of us remember that time of, I mean, people were just very anxious about what the future would hold. And so we were in one worship service and Todi Campolo who is a pastor was preaching on just how important it is in difficult times that we are called to trust God. And we all were deeply convicted and moved. And the band came up. It was Starfield. I don't know if you ever listened to them. They were popular about in the 2000s. And they started worshiping. And it was this incredible thing. They just played song after song after song and and everybody was worshiping. And, we're, of course, we're all youth leaders, so we were all excited to be there. We were all moved by the preaching and the teaching and all the things that had been going on. And so we just kept worshiping until eventually Starfield came on and said, you know, they're telling us to get off the stage. <laughs> I get emotional thinking think about it. But um, they're telling us to get off the stage, but we feel like we need to continue in worship in this moment. It was the greatest worship experience of my life because we just kept worshiping. We just kept there, we kept singing, we kept praising God, we kept praying together, and everyone was deeply moved. Today we're talking about worship. Worship is a powerful thing, worship is an emotional thing. It's where we get to encounter the living God. We come into this place and we get to experience God in a way that we just can't even imagine, that God who created all of this, all the world, all the universe, the heights and the depths, And God is with us in this place. How powerful, how wonderful is that? You know, worship is incredibly countercultural. We're in a society that says it's all about you, right? Your preferences, your desires. You are the king of your own existence. And worship says the opposite that we come in and we bow down, we, we prepare ourselves before something that is greater, something that is far more wonderful than anything we could imagine. Worship is not about us. It's about God. The God who loves us and creates us. And what's so amazing is that in that moment of worship, when we experience God, we get this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it feels amazing, doesn't it, right? When you've been in a grid worship service, and you've gathered with your friends and your family, and you get sent out into the world, you just kind of have that feeling like all is right in the world, and that's what worship is. The Hebrew people had a curious word. Hallelujah, you probably heard it, you probably sang it. And that word literally means everyone praise God. Or in Texan, y'all praise God. Amen. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be a living hallelujah A people who gather and praise God with one another and people who praise God individually at home. And so today, I want you to realize that worship is life. Worship is life. Worship is like breathing. I don't know about y'all, but I am all gunked up with allergies. Anybody else struggling with allergies right now? And I'm just having a hard time breathing. And when you cannot breathe, it's hard to thrive, right? When you're all junked up because of your allergies, it's hard to thrive. Worship is like breath. If you're not worshiping, it is hard to thrive. You know, there's all those slogans that say something like music is life or football is life. Coffee is life. Anybody have a shirt like that? (laughs) Worship is life. So live praising God. Our scripture today comes from uh, the book of Psalms. Psalms is in the middle of the the Bible. And if you brought your own Bible, I invite you to get it out. Follow on your phone, it'll be on the screen. However, you would like to join us in reading scripture. Psalms, some of them uh, are attributed to David, but they were the book of worship for the people of God, for the people of Israel. And oftentimes these would be sung and they would be recited in worship and they're deeply important to the people of Israel. Psalm 95, starting with verse 1. The first word is come. Now you have to imagine, maybe close your eyes and imagine that you are in front of the tabernacle, or you're in front of the temple and there's this great procession of people, and they're coming in from the, from the outside, outer gates in towards the Holy of Holies. And as you get deeper into the temple, deeper into the tabernacle, it's more important and it's more holy, right? And so you're getting closer and closer to the presence of God because the people of God believed that God resided, that God physically resided in the temple. And so they would, there would be this procession. and and musicians, and they'd be singing and and chanting, and, and it would just be this great moment of worship as they entered into the temple. So the first thing about worship is we have to come to worship. So we need to come into the place, the holiness. And it says, come, let us sing out loud to the Lord. Let us raise a joyful shout to the rock of our salvation. Now that might seem like meddling to some people, right? We need to sing loudly to God. We need to, they, they even shouted, did you catch that? It says, raise a joyful shout. Now, there might be even people who might get annoyed if people started shouting praises out to God, but that is what the scriptures tell us to do. You know, contemplative worship is great. There's going to be times where it's great to sit in silence and be with God, but worship should also be a joyful experience. It should be something we want to to share that exuberantly and loudly and praise God with all that we have and all that we are. Let's come before him with thanks and let's shout songs of joy to him. Part of worship is gratitude. Are you grateful for the things that God has done in your life? Are you grateful how God has moved for you and in you? And we need to show gratitude back to God, and that's part of praise. The, earth, the Lord is great, and the great king over all other gods. The earth's depths are in his hands, and the mountain's heights belong to him. The sea which he made is his, along with the dry ground which his own hands have formed. The Lord is great, and a great king all over, over other gods. I think about, I think about In that time, when people literally had idols that they would worship—little things of wood and stone, right—and so what this scripture is telling us, allergies. um, What this scripture is telling us is that God is greater than those other gods. Now, that may be hard for us to kind of identify with, right? Does anybody have a little idol of another god in their house? At least we don't want to admit it, right? If we do, but we have idols, don't we? Netflix, social media money love lust sex we've got plenty of idols and what this scripture is telling us is that god is greater and yet why do we spend more time in our life worshiping those things than we do worshiping god god is greater it says that the earths are in his hand the depths are in his hands and the mountains heights belong to him the sea which he made is along with along with the dry ground which his own hands formed I think about all that God has made, how wonderful our planet is, how big it is. My daughters like to watch this thing called Drain the Oceans on Disney+. Plus. It's a National Geographic. Has anybody seen that? And it's, it's really amazing as they drain the oceans. And you, you realize how deep the oceans are. And you think about how tall the mountains are. And you think about how grand and how big the universe is. And the God who created all of that is worthy of our worship. And the God who created all of that wants to spend time with us. And so what is our response? Then he continues, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So now imagine this great procession has come before the Holy of Holies in worship, and then the whole community kneels or bows before God. That was a sign in the ancient world of respect, right? If there was a lord or a king, you would kneel before them, or maybe even, like, just lay on the ground and grovel, right? Now, we don't tend to do that, but if that's the posture you need to worship God and to realize that God is sovereign, sovereign and God is holy, then by all means, kneel or lay on the ground and know that God is awesome. What is the posture of your heart? Because even if we don't physically kneel, our hearts need to bow before God. So when you come in this place to worship, when you worship God on a daily basis, what is the posture of your heart? And if you, like me, struggle with giving your life and submission to God, maybe it's time to get on your knees and pray. Maybe it's time to lay on the ground and beg God for forgiveness. To get your heart right, sometimes your physical posture needs to set you towards God. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It goes on to say, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep in his hands. So in worship, we follow the shepherd. And then it goes on to say, if only you would listen to his voice right now. And so we're reminding that part of worship is to listen. We have to listen. Jesus is the shepherd, right? And we are the sheep. And if the sheep don't listen to the shepherd, they go astray. And so God is telling us that in worship, you come and you listen. And this is what happens if we don't listen. It says, don't harden your heart at Meribah like you did when you were at Massah in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and scrutinized me, even though they had already seen my acts. For 40 years, that generation, I despise that generation And these people have twisted hearts. They don't know my ways. The psalm is referring to two very specific acts where the people of God were complaining because they weren't thirsty. They weren't trusting that God would provide. And so the word Meribah and Massah means quarreling and testing, right? And so there was this quarreling and testing that was going on with God. And so Moses goes down, and God had told Moses, speak to the rock, and the water will flow, and Moses, in his frustration, hits the rock with his staff. You may be familiar with this passage, and this is the reason that Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land is because of, of that moment, and then the, the talking about the 40 years in the desert is talking about when they sent the 10 spies into the promised land and or the 12 spies, and 10 of them came back and said, oh, we can't do that. Those, There's giants, there's all these powerful armies, they've got big walls, we cannot win. And then the two spies who are like, but we've got God on our side. And so what the psalmist is saying here is that we need to choose who we're going to listen to. Are you going to harden your heart against God and listen to the voice inside your head or the voice of everyone else is saying, the problems are too big, The walls are too high. The giants are too great. Are you going to harden your heart? Or in worship, are you going to soften your heart? And through the power of the Holy Spirit, listen and follow God like the two spies, Jacob, I mean Joshua, sorry, and Caleb, who said, we can do this. God is on our side. We can do anything with God if God is on our side. Part of worship is listening. And trusting God, to soften our hearts, to hear the message that God would have us through the singing, through the preaching, through communion, through offering, whatever it is, so that God can't or God will speak to us. But if we soften our hearts, we can listen. Today, we're talking about both communal worship, what we're doing right now, and our daily acts of worship. Uh, We're going through the book, uh, The Walk by Adam Hamilton, which talks about five practices that we're going to try to pick up over the next 40 days in Lent, right? And it's worship, it's study, it's sharing, it's giving, and it is serving. Did I say serve? Worship, study, serve, give, and share. So we're talking about those five acts that you can do that if you pick those up in your life for the next 40 days, you will grow in your relationship with God. Communal worship, what we do together as we gather in this place, this is what Adam Hamilton says about worship. Worship is the primary and appropriate response of the creature to the creator. It's the primary and appropriate response to the creature and the creator. We think about what God has done and the creation and all things that God has done in our lives. We respond in worship. And the first thing about it is that it has to be done in community. Worship has to be done in community. We were actually talking about this, and I'm gonna, I may embarrass her, but Jessica shared something that was so brilliant to me that just transformed my way of thinking on this. She said, she was talking about how in the garden, you know, God creates all of these things, right? All of the, the birds, the animals, the world, um, and then there's Adam, and looks at Adam and says, it is not good for one to be alone. And, and the part that was so transformative to me is that, Adam had God, right, and all of creation, and God still said, it is not good for one to be alone. It's almost as if God is saying, it's not just enough for you to have this relationship with me, that we need each other, that we need to be in relationship, that we need to gather together. And in fact, Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name, I am there also, When we gather in this place, yes, God is with us always. In fact, what we believe as Christians is that we have the Holy Spirit with us. But when we gather in this place, whether it's two or three or five or 100 or 1,000, God is present. And something happens. It's a mystery. It's amazing. I don't know what it is. But the Spirit starts moving in our hearts and our minds, and we are transformed. You can have a relationship with God without coming to worship. But it's not the way it is meant to be. Gather and worship together. And we gather on the Sabbath. Now, the original Sabbath was Friday and Saturday, but because of the resurrection, Christians moved the Sabbath to Sunday. And so we gather every week. And so I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to be here. If you're a partner, if you're a part of Rockbridge, we are called to show up. I want you to get you an A in your attendance (laughs) with God. Not that this is about your salvation, but I want you to show up. Your life will be better if you make worship a priority. The people's lives around you will be better. The people in this room, their life will be better. And if you're doing what I hope you're doing, which is inviting people to worship, and that's the one day that they agree to come and you're not there, then they'll be missing out on your presence. We need to gather in community because that is the appropriate response from the creator, from the creation to the creator. When we come in this place, we come into the presence of God. We heard in the scripture that, 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 that talk as they move closer to the heart of God. That's what worship is, is we are moving closer to the heart of God in worship. Do you feel it? Do you feel the tangible presence of God as you worship? And it's the whole experience. You know, worship starts the moment you enter those doors at the back. It's part of it is being greeted and saying hello to your friends or your new friends. Part of it is going eating a donut and coffee and then coming into this place and Josh lifting us up or whoever's leading in worship, praying to God, singing praises. It's the children coming and sitting up here and learning about God. It's even the announcements. It's the offering that we give back to God. It's the scripture. It's the scripture. It's the sermon. It's coming to the table and meeting Christ, and then it's responding to the word and the benediction and being sent out as the people of God to do the work of God. We come into the presence of God, and we need to worship with passion. Now, it's not my responsibility to tell you what passion looks like, right? Maybe passion for you is just quietly singing praises to God. Maybe it's dancing in the aisles. Maybe it's hands raised. Maybe it's hands by your side, hands in your pocket. Whatever it is between you and God that you will passionately become the throne. Because remember, we meet God in this place. That is no small thing. The creator is here. That's more like playing with dynamite, right? If you think about it, the power that is in this room right now is incredible, and we need to sing to God passionately with all that we have. I've seen some of y'all watch sports. I know how passionate you can get. If you would go to a concert, if you'd go to a Taylor Swift concert and you'd be dancing and singing, then you should be dancing and singing in this place. Do you hear me? Bring your passion to God. This is not something that we do solemnly. Sometimes it's good to be contemplative. Be passionate in your worship. And then finally, we need to listen. This is a place where we cannot let our hearts get hardened because if we do, we will live the lives that we want to live. We need our hearts softened. The music softens us. The preaching softens us. The word softens us. The communion softens us so that we can be molded into the people God would have us to be. And then as we think about our daily act of worship, it needs to be each and every day. One of our traditions in our house is that every night we sing Jesus Loves Me to our kids before they go to bed. And one night, I don't know what Michelle and I were doing, but we were out and about, and they were spending the night with the grandparents, and Amelia called up uh, Michelle uh, via Cindy's phone and said, Mama, I need you to sing me Jesus Loves Me before I can go to sleep. That's what worship is, right? Just as a child needs that comfort from a mother, So we need that time with God because God is our father. God is our mother. God wants to spend time with us each and every day and we desperately need it. And so for these 40 days, I'm gonna ask you to do a practice. Uh, It's gonna be a five-fingered thing, okay? So first thing, I'm gonna ask you to pray five times a day because actually Paul tells us to pray without ceasing and that's where we wanna get to where every moment is prayer. But right now, we're gonna start with five, okay? So five times a day. The first time is I want you to pray right when you get up. What you do when you first wake up sets the priorities of your day. So even if it's one minute or five minutes or an hour, I don't care what it is, the first thing I want you to do is to think about God. Then I want you to pray three times throughout your day at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And just think about and be grateful. If you're eating, maybe you're fasting, I don't know. But if you're eating, you can give thanks for the things that God has given you. And for the family you have and for the people you have around you. Three times a day, pray as you eat. And then uh, before you go to bed, I want you to pray. And this is a time of reflection to look back on your day and say, Did I serve God today? Did I do what God has called me to do? And maybe even spend a moment in confession for the mistakes that you've made. Five times a day, morning, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and at night. That practice will help you grow in your faith and your relationship. God. The other part of that is I really want us to focus on our gratitude this Lent. What are you thankful for? Did you know that people who are grateful are more healthy than people who are not? That if we could bottle it as a medicine, we'd be more healthy as a society. It's something that you can start practicing day in and day out and start your practice with being grateful to God for what God has done in your life. A few weeks ago, as we talk about what it means to how worship is life, and how we're called to live praising God. A few weeks ago, one of our young ones, we were doing communion, came up and took communion with her mom, went back, sat down, was sitting in her mom's lap. Then a few minutes later, saw people were still taking communion, crawled out of her mom's lap, and went and took communion again. Went and sat back down, taking communion. So she got up a third time, walked up, and took communion a third time. Guys, that is how we're called to worship. Children speak so true. Keep coming back. Keep experiencing the grace of God. Worship every single day. And especially on the Sabbath, let us gather together and sing praises to our creator. Let us shout loud songs. Let us dance with exuberance. Let us share our joy with one another because worship is life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.